Well, we're here in our second week of the series based on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, a series on repentance, which is so very appropriate to the season of Advent. But as we come to this second week, I think it's very important that we keep the church's understanding of repentance before us at all times. Because there are a lot of misconceptions when I throw out a word or anyone throws out a word repentance, what that might mean. And I love St. John Climacus, or St. John of the Ladder, as he's also known. His definition of repentance. To repent is not to look downward at my shortcomings, but upward at God's love. It is not to look backwards with self-reproach, but forward with trustfulness. It is to see not what I failed to be, but what by the grace of God I might yet become. Why is this important? Well, first of all, St. John Climacus, uh, he's no lightweight. His book on the ladder is a very tough book to read. And yet this is his definition of repentance. See, he understands full well. It's not that we ignore our shortcomings and our weaknesses and the ways that we are not like God, the things that are producing all of these sins within us that are doing damage to our soul. It's not that we ignore those. When he makes that statement that to repent is not to look downward at shortcomings, it's not to look backward at self-reproach, it's not to look at what I've failed to become. There's a reason for that. Because the whole understanding in the mind of God in repentance is that He illuminates us with His beauty and His perfection and His holiness. And by the illumination of that into our lives, what do you think? Of course we see how we're not like that. But the reason He reveals Himself to us is not to shame us. The reason God reveals Himself to us is to heal us if we'll come to Him and look at what He shows us and say, You're right. You see, the whole time we repent, even though we see what God has shown us, is something that is absolutely killing us and damaging our conscience. Even though we see that, where is our face still set? Godward. Shame is satanic. And there's no other way to put it. Shame is satanic. Because shame is an instrument used by Satan where we within ourselves see our dysfunctions and our sins and our sinfulness and we hide from God because we're convinced we're not worthy. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. Shame is satanic. Repentance is holy and godly and healing to the soul. And yes, we may have tears of repentance, but the tears are not tears of shame. They are tears seeing the difference of what we are and what we can be and crying out to God for the healing of our soul. Crying out to God for the healing of our soul. Because we've seen where we're going. Because where we're going is who He is. You see that? That's where St. John Climacus is coming from. And that is the church's teaching. We become our true selves again by repentance. So, <clears throat> so last week was our first week with Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol where we were introduced by video and some discussion to Ebenezer Scrooge. 
And we asked ourselves the question, why is this man being brought to repentance? What it is in his life does he need to see? What is it in his life that he needs to be transformed out of? And we came with all sorts of answers. We also watched the video snippet of Jacob Marley calling Scrooge to repentance. Jacob, who had been seven years dead, is sentenced for all eternity to roam the world seeing all of the suffering but no longer having the power to do anything about it. Where in his life, he lived a life blinded. He blinded himself to the suffering when he had the power. And so we saw that last week. This week, we are going to look at the visitation of the ghost of Christmas past. And remember one of the questions we posed about all of the deficiencies that we see in Scrooge. All the ways this man definitely needs to repent repent and needs transformation in his life. We posed the question, the very important question. What made him like that? Why is Ebenezer Scrooge so greedy? Why is Ebenezer Scrooge so self-consumed? Why is Ebenezer Scrooge so completely alone, totally detached from any sense of community in this world? Because the question why is one of the most important questions that we as Christians need to ask ourselves. Lord, I see what you're showing me about myself. Why? Show me why I've become like this. So that I can offer it to you so that you can heal my past as well as my present so that I can grow in healing in the future. And that's what today is all about. We're going to watch a 15 to 17 minute video shot from the same video that I showed you last week with George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. It's the 17 minutes of the tour of Ebenezer Scrooge's past that gets shown to him by the ghost of Christmas past. What I want you to do while we watch this video is I want you to look at these scenes you're going to be shown because they're also written in Dickens' book. This gives a great impression of why Scrooge became the way he was. And I want you to look at these video scenes and I want you to be able to answer to me afterwards why is Scrooge like he is today. Okay, fair enough? Okay. Someone would cut the lights, we'll get going. Go ahead and get off the other one too. Thank you. Echelon Connect, a fitness bike and an entirely new kind of fitness experience that lets you take live fitness classes right from your own home. Take care of your bodies, my friend.
suit was coming with what told you? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No. Your past. Perhaps you would do me the favor of placing upon your head that uh, cap which you hold in your hand. I bring the light of truth. Would you use this cap to put it out?
waste of time, darling. You didn't think so then? There was a reason then. They've been changing you since you'll come to Fezzy Weeks. You were so gloomy. Oh, I think I should warn you, Miss Bell. I have a serious thing to mind. I consider seriousness to be an admirable trait of character.
you think I would not have? Oh, Ebenezer, what a safe and terrible answer. So characteristic of the careful man. Ebenezer, I release you. You are a free man. I let you go with a full heart. May you be happy in the life you have chosen.
What did you learn about why he's alone, about his upbringing, about his childhood? Yeah. His father neglected him and didn't want him home. And why did his father neglect him and not want him home? Because his father was broken. His father was wounded and saw in Ebenezer the remainder of his life. And how was his father wounded? What happened? Because Ebenezer's mother died in childbirth. Ebenezer's mother died in childbirth. So he grew up, A, without a mother. And secondly, his father detested him because he was the cause of his wife's death. And so he lived in a way that abandoned Ebenezer Scrooge all of his life, right? Note that. Note that. Fast forward to his teenage years when his father takes him out of boarding school, but he doesn't take him home. What's his father's disposition to him even then? Doesn't want him. Ebenezer Scrooge knows that he is an unwanted human by one of the most critical persons in his life, the role of the father. Let's go to his apprenticeship years later as a young adult. Now, you notice that he gains a bit of joy from Fezziwig and working with Fezziwig. And he falls in love with young Belle. But what happens to that relationship? Yes, Parker. Um, Business. Business did what? Uh, it made him like. Um, he was so involved in business. Yeah. Very good. Perfect. Well put. He was so engulfed in business that he, he follow this, he was a neglected human being. So he became a neglectful human being. And he neglected Bell. He put all of his thoughts, all of his value was on money and success and succeeding and building a business and developing his business skills to the neglect of the greatest virtue, love. Love. That's exactly right. And she breaks off the engagement because of that. Let me ask you a question. Actually, before I do, let's note something. What Charles Dickens is painting a very, very honest and true picture of in the life of every human is that all of us in this room right now, the way that we are today, the way that we live in relationship to others today is entirely sculpted by everything up to today. Would you agree with that? All of the experiences, and I'm talking about good, bad, and ugly, right? All of the experience we've had that have led to the negativity and our hard time having true healthy relationships, so to speak, and living healthily in this world, all of those have been crafted because of one of two things. The pains and sufferings that we have gone through up to this point, Everything we have had to endure because of either things done to us or just hardships that life throws at us develop us. Or number two, because of the choices that we made. I should say and or number two. Because of the choices that we made that brought destruction of our psyche, brought destruction of our conscience, 
and the weight of guilt and shame into our lives. So by things done to us or hard experiences crafted us in a certain way. And the choices that we make. You see that in Ebenezer Scrooge, do you not? You see both. You see extreme loneliness and pain and the sense of being abandoned and thrown away. What does he grow up to be? A person who has absolutely no sense of community whatsoever. No attachment. No healthy relationships. None because of his brokenness from early childhood. And then you see him abandon love for the sake and pursuit of stature and means and gold and money and all of those things. And what does he do? He, he in turn neglects. He chooses, which creates the further loneliness. And so here's the question for us and all of us, exempting none. What is it in your past that has gone far too long undealt with? I'm not asking you to answer that right now. This is the question posed to us. What is it, whether it's the pains and sufferings that you've gone through in this life, whether at the hand of, like I said, at the hand of another, or because of just some horrific circumstances that have occurred, or what decisions and or what decisions have you made in this life from your past that still carry the weight of shame and guilt over you, that continue you in certain patterns today? What are the things of the past? for you that have gone far too long undealt with. And I want you to notice something because Charles Dickens has such great wisdom in painting the picture of humanity. Notice how Scrooge responds to this ghost of Christmas past in each scenario. Because when he's shown himself as a child and he's remembering this incredible pain, I want you to notice something. He won't enter into it and deal with it. He makes excuses. He makes rationale. When, when the ghost says, You're a, look, look at this child alone, his parents nowhere around and so on and so forth, what does he say? Oh, he's got his books. He's got his friends in his books to keep him. He makes excuses he won't enter into that suffering in a proper way in order that healing can take place. And when it comes to Belle, when it comes to the excuse of why he abandoned her, why he chose money over her when she's talking to him, he makes the excuse, but I'm doing this for us. I'm doing this. I'm choosing this because I'm afraid of not having. He doesn't see, he just, I choose this. To make this happen, he makes excuses. Let me ask you a question. How many times do you and I, in our lives, when we look at the pains of our path or the choices that we have made, rather than letting God in to heal, we make excuses for all of these things? You see, Ebenezer Scrooge is using what's called in psychological terms a defense mechanism. Rather than experiencing the pain that would heal, to look at his past and to truly weep because he kept himself from weeping, he made decisions to numb the pain rather than decisions that would allow the healing to come into his life. How many of us do the same? We all do. I'm asking you to examine your lives. 
How many of us make excuses for those things? How many of us will not let God into the rawest place in our life? And that rawest place is what's causing us so much dysfunction in present day. So much sadness. So much lack of complete joy that God certainly desires for our lives. I want to close with a thought for you. Because I'm going to tell you two words that it takes. Two things it takes to bring ourselves to healing over the things of our past. Choices and things that we've gone through. There are two things it takes. One is faith. I'll explain that in a minute. And the second is courage. And I don't say that lightly. Courage. To look at ourselves as God will show us. Courage to see some of these things like He was able to see them. But to see them clearly and realize there's a thorn, they're a thorn in His very being that God wants to prick out and heal. Let me give you an example of what I mean by faith and courage. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. And it's the woman who had the issue of blood. In the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 8. You want to talk about someone suffering in present day from things in the past, and these are all physical, yes, but let's look at it and still get the principle. We are told that a multitude, and I love the word the Gospels use, a multitude thronged Jesus. That means they were all pressing into Him. He's completely surrounded, no breathing space. A multitude thronged him, and the crowd was thick wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder, if you can picture it. And there was a woman with the issue of blood, which means that she was having every day, she was having a, a, her period every day for 12 years. She was suffering greatly. Which means that she would have, think about it, she would have been weak she, from the iron deficiency, Physically, she would have been weak, suffering, and, 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 and you know, that's not a comfortable thing to have. So she's dealing with this every day with physical pain and weakness. Here's where the faith comes in. I said faith and courage, here's where the faith comes in. God had revealed just enough of Himself in the person of Jesus Christ that she believed one thing. If I could just go touch Him. I could be healed of this. That's what you call a mustard seed of faith. Some might say great faith. But I tell you it's a mustard seed, the beginning of faith. Where we have revealed to us that Jesus can heal us. And she had that. Now what about the courage? Understand that a woman with an issue of blood was considered in that day by the culture, by the Hebrew culture, to be unclean. And I mean in no different way than a leper would be considered to be unclean. And they would be outcast for that time, then brought back in. She's been 12 years like this, living in the shame of uncleanness, as well as the suffering from it. She dares to go public, and she gathers herself enough courage and strength to press through. Now think about this in her weak condition. To press through the throng of people who are crowding Jesus. That's courage. 
And so what she does is she makes her way through all of these people and she comes up behind Jesus, we're told, and she just touches the back hem of His garment. And Jesus perceives that power had gone out from Him. And she was immediately healed, we're told. Healed of the shameful condition. Healed of 12 years of her past. And made whole again to move forward. How? With faith. Mustard seed of faith. But with courage to take her shame and bring it to Christ. And I tell you this right now, that without faith and courage, we will never allow God to show us the things in our past. Again, the ways that we have suffered at the hands of others or horrific circumstances at young ages have happened to us. And one of these days, I don't have time today, I'll testify to you of mine in this case from childhood. Not today. But only with faith and courage will we examine those things in the eyes of God who loves us and is asking us to come and touch the hem of His garment. Why do I say courage? Because I'm telling you from personal experience that to look at things that have happened to us in the past, to really gaze at them and allow ourselves to weep over them, takes immense courage. What Satan would have us do is live our lives in numbing blindness, cowardice, keeping Christ at arm's length from us because we just can't go there, Lord. We all do that in various ways. Every one of us. But what our Lord Jesus Christ desires is to illuminate us. See, this whole thing about repentance and Advent and the Christian life... Repentance is allowing God to illumine all of these things, in this case things of our past, so that we see them in such a way that we give them over to Him. And we let Him bring us through the process of healing. Because His desire is that we no longer stay the same, but are transformed and we have those thorns, as I described, pricked from our soul and our emotions, so that we can be made whole again. Because that's salvation. Is this making sense? Is this ringing true at all in our lives? My friends, all of your pain, all of your sufferings from the past, we've got to remove this thing of shame. We've got to remove this thing of victimization and so on. We may have been victims of things, but Christ heals us and makes us victors with Him. So here's my encouragement to you throughout this week of Blessed Advent. Let your focus in your prayer times with God look at your past. Examine things that have happened to you. Examine the choices that you've made that have done damage to soul and conscience. And offer them to Him because Advent is a a season not only of preparation but of healing. Great healing. Hmm? We'll continue next week. Let's stand.